letting me serve. All right. Hey, um, if you're a uh, intern or volunteer, I need you to come and get a uh, discussion sheet from me real quick. Um, if there's not an intern or volunteer at your table, then just a student appoint yourself as the discussion leader this morning. We're going to have a little bit of discussion. Sorry, Clayton. Didn't mean to leave you hanging there. Apologize about that. There you go. Uh, anybody else? Okay, cool. All right, here's the deal. Um, we're doing a series called I Am Woman, Hear Me Roar. I Am Man, Watch Me Score. We talked about a lot of things in relation to relationships. We are discussing um, the sins of men today. Uh, if you have any questions um, that you want to text message to us, the numbers on the screen, text the way. We will try to answer your questions at the end of the series. Um, the first question we're going to deal with today, uh, this should, uh, should uh, create some interesting discussion. Why do men love Arnold but hate Fabio? First of all, I need to know, do you even know who Fabio is? Okay. Fabio, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, Everyone knows Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, he's kind of a man's man. Um, but Fabio is a little bit different. He's got muscles and stuff like Arnold, but he's a different kind of guy, okay? I've got a picture of Arnold. You know who Arnold is. Now, this is Fabio, okay? Um, this is the guy on the front cover of, like, romance novels and stuff like that. So discuss for a few minutes why a guy might love all this kind of, what? Out there in your face. Okay. Alright. Why else? Is that a hand? Wife? Fabio. <laughs> that was good. Fabio looks like a woman on steroids. And I have seen people like that, and I would agree, yes. Uh, woman on steroids. What else? He wears tight jeans. Okay, he is Italian. And Italian, Italian guys are actually kind of all like this, okay? If you're Italian, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm just saying, you know. Well, who else? Who else? Well, you can really boil it down to one thing, okay? Um, Arnold is what we call a man's man. Fabio is what we call a lady's man, all right? Now, on the surface, you would think that guys would respect the ladies' man because he always gets the lady. But the problem with the ladies' man is that he doesn't have any guy friends, right? All he has is the lady, okay? Arnold has a bunch of guys, but he also has the lady. Uh, Fabio has just the lady, okay? Now, um, there's something that you all need to understand about men, especially you girls. You need to understand that, that men want the approval of other men, Okay? Not just the approval of a woman. It's really important. It's also why uh, guys hate boy bands. Um, uh, the first boy band that I can remember when I was growing up was New Kids on the Block. Uh, then we had NSYNC. Then we had 98 Degrees, Backstreet Girls. And then what's, what, what is it today? Jonas Brothers? They're the closest one to a boy band today. Um, any other boy bands floating around that I don't know about? LFO. Who? LFO. LFO? Uh, I don't think so. Um, so the, the boy bands are always hated by other guys because the only people who like boy bands are, are the girls, typically. Okay? 
And so if a guy is in his car, like, jamming out to, um, to uh, Jonas Brothers, then other guys will make fun of him. Okay? No question. Um, so here's the deal. Uh, guys, guys hate Fabio. Guys hate boy bands because they are not man's men. Okay, they are not a man's man. They are ladies, ladies' man. All right, and and so there's a way, there's a way that a man, listen up, there's a way that a man gains the approval of other men. There's a way that a man becomes a man's man, at least in the eyes of all the men, and it's this: it's by following what I call the man code. Okay. Um, commercials have been made about this kind of stuff, usually beer commercials. Uh, but there's some unwritten rules to the man code that every guy knows are true. And he's supposed to follow these rules. Here's some of the rules. No sissy stuff. All right? Guys tend to reject everything that is feminine or at least pretend like they hate everything feminine. I'm not, I'm not saying this is right. I'm just saying this is the way guys can be. Uh, rule number two. Anger is better than sadness. Usually a guy will not say, yeah, I'm feeling kind of uh, uh, blue today. I'm feeling sad today. Uh, a guy will just say, I'm really, really mad, you know. That's how a guy's going to show that kind of emotion. Um, take it like a man. Every man has said that to another guy. Take it like a man. Like, guys are the kind of people that um, never admit that they're cold, never um, take a to-go box from a restaurant. What's the matter? You can't finish your meal, you baby. You know, that's how guys are, okay? By the way, when you're married, all that goes away. I took a to-go box from a restaurant last night, so now I had lunch today at home. Wait for you in the refrigerator. All right? Um, I'm a sissy, I know. I can't finish a meal. Uh, one before. He who dies with the most toys wins. Rule number five. Nice guys finish last. Uh, girls, if you want to really insult your boyfriend, call him nice. Okay? Guys do not want to be called nice. That is not a good word. Okay? Um, it'd be like calling you kind of pretty. Like, if you said, I'm, am I pretty? And he says, no, you're kind of pretty. You'd be like, what? Like, do not call your boyfriend nice. That is not a compliment to a guy. That means he's weak. That means he's not really a man's man, okay? Now, the, the sixth one, it's all good. Um, that's the expression that a lot of guys will use. They're like, so, um, your dog just died. Your mom has cancer. Your dad left your mom. So how's, how are you doing? Oh, it's all good. I'm all right. And they push emotion to the side and don't let themselves feel anything. Okay, it's all good. Now, what you must know about the, the man code is that High school is like a boot camp for the man code. And you know, that, you know this to be true, that at every moment in the locker room or wherever you're at in the hallways, that you as men are on a, on a trial basis trying out this man code thing. That whenever you violate one of these rules, unwritten rules, that other men will call you out and write you a ticket. All right? That's what happens. So, um, today we're going to talk about some sins of men that kind of flow out of this man code thing. The first one that we're going to look at is anger. The angry man. Okay? Now, people say that men aren't emotional uh, and that women are emotional. Um, I want to show you a video that proves otherwise. Okay? So, uh, let's go ahead and play this video. If it's still queued up, let's go ahead and play it. Let me take just a second here. 
Oh, we were in a commercial break. How you doing over there, Dan? <laughs> I broke something. How's your hair? Oh, it's fine. All right. Good. Even sadness easily turns into anger. This is why the guy who's had a really rough childhood always ends up being the guy that um, 
does something like what happened in Fort Hood or does something that happens to cause a lot of damage, uh, typically. Um, in in uh, the movie Fight Club, Brad Pitt's character said this, how can, you know, how can you know about yourself if you've never been in a fight? There's a question that all guys have. How would I respond if I was really in a fight? How would I respond if somebody threatened me? Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 26 and 27, we're going to look there. It says this. It says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. So answer your next three questions there at your table about anger. Discuss those for a few moments. think about these questions for just a minute. Let's think about these questions for just a minute. Uh, You know, there's this really prevalent idea among the church, especially among men in the church, that if I become a Christian, that means I have to stop being passionate about things, I have to stop being uh, a man, that the church is going to take away my manhood. Uh, and feminize me in some way. And so there is this, this prevalent idea that, that all anger is sin. That is not biblical at all. All anger is not sin. In fact, some anger can be really, can be really righteous. Uh, in fact, Jesus was angry. Um, remember the story in the temple where Jesus came in and turned over tables? And it says that he actually whipped the money changers? Um, this is some hardcore stuff. Jesus showed anger, he showed anger at sin. And so I would say it this way, that uh, the only righteous anger is anger at sin. Now, um, here's the problem though, is that most men get angry about the wrong things. Most men get angry about uh, if someone steps on their ego, or if someone steps in their way. Uh, You see that their anger becomes, it's really all about them, it's all about um, how I look, if someone uh, slights my manhood in some way, then I'm going to get that guy back. Most men are angry about the wrong things. And so when you think about um, uh, anger, if you're angry about the right things, it can be a good thing in the way that Jesus was. Anger towards sin. Anger about sin. Um, but the question is, is it possible for even righteous anger to lead to sin? The answer to that question is absolutely yes. Uh, if you think about this, um, the events of what happened in Fort Hood this past week, of course, were horrible in, in every way. Uh, but I was telling Courtney last night that if I was the parent of one of those victims and I knew this guy was still alive, it'd be really hard for me not to drive to San Antonio where he's in the hospital and finish him off. And I'm sure you'd feel the same way. Now, am I righteous to feel anger towards this injustice? Absolutely. But would, I right to, but, but would I be right to take matters into my own hands? No, I would not. I would not. So it is possible to, to, to feel a righteous anger towards something, but to let it consume you, to let it lead you into sin. And this is um, what Paul's talking about when he says, this gives the devil 
a foothold because the devil would like to intensify even your righteous anger to the point that it leads you into sin. It leads you to the point where you no longer control your anger, but your anger controls you. And in that moment, you become become consumed by it. The devil has a foothold in your life, and you've been consumed by your anger. Aristotle, the great philosopher, said, Anyone can become angry, but to be angry with the right person to the right degree, at the right time, for the right purpose, and in the right way, this is not easy. You see... It is actually masculine. It is, it is manly to be angry about the right things. But, but when you're angry about the wrong things, you're only showing your weakness. Only showing your weakness. I think so many men need to understand this. That when you are angry about the wrong things, that you are only showing your weakness as a man, not your strength. That when you're angry about someone stepping on your ego, stepping on your pride, that's when your weakness comes out. You show everyone how insecure you really are in who you are as a man because of it. So angry, the angry man, uh, which leads into our next one, the passive man. You would think the complete opposite, but so often they're the exact same person. The exact same person. Here's what I mean. You see, when, when a man cares too much for the wrong things, it leads to anger. When a man cares too little for the right things, it leads to passivity. Okay? So often men, men care too much for the wrong things. Their ego, their pride, their manhood has been violated. And so that leads to anger. But so often they care too little for the right things, and that leads to passivity. Leads to passivity. Uh, you think of it like this. Many men, um, you can probably think of your own, uh, your grandfather, your father possibly. Uh, many men are physically present but emotionally absent. This kind of guy um, goes to work, works really hard for his job, uh, puts food on the table, he pays the bills. He has stayed married to his wife. But when he comes home, he's completely emotionally gone, emotionally absent. They come home, they check out, they watch TV, they go to the garage and do their hobby. They are just devoted to their job and not to their family. In fact, uh, I can tell you how, just from personal experience, how I am tempted in this way. Um, let me tell you guys, there is a something in a woman. They, are, they have this emotional endurance that men just don't seem to have. Okay? Example, uh, my wife Courtney, uh, she can read the same book to Landon ten times. And she can get into the story and voice inflection, like she's acting out the story for him, and he's like laughing, he's all into it, and he's loving it. And then um, I'll read it once, and I am worn out, okay? And he's like, he's like, Daddy, read it again. And I'm like, Landon, can I just watch Sports Center, please? Can you just let me have a minute? It's like, men, we just have this emotional tank that's like this big, okay? Women have like this deep emotional tank that they can just keep giving and giving and giving emotionally to their kid, and it's like they just, it's never ending. At least it seems that way to me. And so there's this thing in a guy that just says, look, I just want to come home, I want to leave work at work, I want to come home and just, just be. I just want to watch TV, I just want to check out. And the problem is that many of your dads, many of your grandfathers are physically present, but they're emotionally absent. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 to 7. 
It's the creation story. Many of you know it by heart. Uh, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. I've always found the end part of that verse just very strange. Realized they were naked, sewed fig leaves together, made coverings for themselves. But here's the thing about the fall, the fall of man. Um, most guys like to joke around and like blame everything on Eve. You know, it's all her fault. She's the one that was naive, gullible, uh, believed a talking serpent. And... Uh, and she, she sinned. Um, most people think that it happened this way. Most people think that Eve was kind of walking through the garden and that Adam's like over there, um, you know, killing a goat or something. And uh, that Eve is, is, is in, in the garden and that the serpent talks to her, convinces her, and then she goes over to Adam and says, Hey, Adam, let me tell you about this tree that we need to eat of. Okay? That's how most people think that it went down. But if you look at this text, look at what it says. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So that changes the story entirely. Basically, she's having this conversation with the serpent, and Adam is standing right there. And the reason why all of you thought he wasn't there was because he doesn't speak. So the question is, why doesn't he speak in the story? Why doesn't Adam speak? Because Adam was created. He was created to, to guard, to protect, uh, the garden, to guard and protect his wife. But he did nothing. So the question becomes, why didn't he do something? Why didn't he speak? Why didn't he intervene and say something? Why was he silent? I think, sadly, the answer is that the same reason why many of your dads, many of your grandfathers, and why many of you guys are silent about such things. You see, you see, because of pride, let me tell you a little uh, a secret about, about guys, young ladies. Um, because of pride, men are terrified of failure. We are. We don't want to admit it, but we are. Men are absolutely terrified of failure. So when things get crazy, when things get chaotic, instead of seeing failure, they retreat. Instead of entering into the situation... They just pull back. They retreat. They're passive. Okay? Why? They're afraid of failure. They're terrified of failure. You see, there's a lie that, that, that many men, I think, buy into, and it's this. This comes from the man code. The lie is that real men never fail. But the truth of the matter is that real men aren't afraid of failure. If you can get past your fears in these areas, the fear of failure, then you will not be afraid to fail. You will not be afraid. Your manhood will not be on the line whenever something happens. It's crazy. Okay? We're afraid of failure. I will give you one example of how this plays itself out in relationships. Uh, as a married man, one of the most terrifying things for a guy is um, the emotions of a woman. Okay? Uh, and you guys, if you're with me, raise your hand. Okay, um, one of the most terrifying things for a guy is the emotions of a woman. Uh, if you've ever been with a friend of the opposite sex, or even when they're in a relationship, boyfriend girlfriend thing, um, and she just starts crying. Okay, as a guy, your mouth gets real dry, you start to sweat, and you have no idea what to say. Okay, and uh, 
All you want to do is you just want to leave and retreat and just go watch TV. Okay? That's all you want to do. Because it's terrifying. Because you feel like a complete idiot in that moment. I, I mean, she's sitting there pouring her heart out to you and you're just like... This is how awkward it is. Okay? You just you squirm and you're like, I, I gotta go to the bathroom, I think, and, and you're just you're awkward. Like you don't know what to do. Okay? Why? Because when it comes to emotions, especially handling your emotions, guys don't have a clue and we know it. Okay? And so we are terrified of failure in any way. Okay? In any way. And so what happens is most men just retreat, they're passive, they withdraw. They distance themselves from heavy emotion. Okay? So you have the passive man. Number three, the funny man. The funny man. Now, listen, um, I will tell you, I love comedy. I love comedy. I will watch Comedy Central as long as Chris Rock is not on there because he's dirty. But I I love Comedy Central. I love comedians. I love stand-up. I love funny movies. Um, but for many guys, it's the most important thing. For many guys, humor is the most important thing. Everything becomes a joke to a lot of guys. Okay. Now, um, I'm going to skip over this last question for the sake of time. But there is a pressure, pressure that all guys feel, and it's the pressure to be funny. Okay? Because the guy who's funny has, has tons of friends around him. Um, he's the life of the party. He's the guy that uh, everyone's just waiting for what he's going to say next. Um, he's just the guy that, that just feels like uh, he's the center of attention. He's the life of the party. So Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 2 says, this is Solomon writing these verses. He says, Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? Now, I'll say once again, he's not against humor in its right context. But he is against humor when it becomes the most important thing. When it becomes everything to you. So so Solomon is looking for something. He's looking for real meaning in humor. He's basically asking the question, okay, when when you go watch a really funny movie and you laugh for two hours and you leave that situation, what do you really walk away with? Okay, it was fun. It was great. But what do you really walk away with in that moment? Not, not really anything of substance or meaning. It's all just, it's a, it's a great time, which is an important part of your life. But if that's all you have, if you've lifted humor to that, the ultimate thing in your life, then you're missing it. You're missing it. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 4 says that there is a time to weep, there's a time to laugh, there's a time to mourn. There's a time to dance. Not sure about the dancing part, but there's a time to weep, a laugh, and mourn. I'll stick with those. Um, guys, let me tell you. Guys, listen up. With humor, timing is everything. Alright? With humor, timing is everything. There's a, there's a time to laugh, a time to be funny, a time to be a comedian. There's also a time to weep. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to cry. Okay? You, you see, here's the deal. There are many guys in this room that think that crying is feminine. They think that the shedding a tear, um, if they ever 
feel like they want to express emotion that way, they, they are choking it down because they do not want to be seen as feminine at all. Okay? But I have seen men that I respect. I have seen men that are a man's man. But I've seen them weep over righteous things. I've seen them weep over sin. And there's something about that that just draws you in. That you just go, I want to be a guy that's okay in my masculinity enough to where I can weep about the right things. Now, if you stub your toe and you start crying, okay, we need to talk. But I'm talking about being mournful, weeping for the right things. For the right things. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 3 says, Sorrow is better than laughter, because a sad face is good for the heart. Here's what he's saying. When do people grow spiritually? It is almost always in times of suffering. Uh, you don't typically go to a party and, or go watch a funny movie and walk away and go, man, I feel like God did so much through that. I feel like God just really grew me through that funny movie for two hours. It's usually the times when, when you're suffering and you're crying and you're sorrowful. Those are the times where, where you feel like God is really moving. God is trying to show you more of who He is. So he says a sad face is good for the heart. That's, that's where the heart's really going to learn about life and, and learn about reality. You see, what most people do is they will use humor to avoid reality. This is the guy who, uh, when you try to get deep with him, when you try to ask him a question about his life, he turns it into a joke. And he's using humor to deflect. He's using humor to sort of push you away. And even when you try to get deep with this person, they they always use humor to kind of just keep you at bay and to push you aside. Um, You see, uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but um, even the the word amusement, you think of amusement parks or um, any kind of fun and games place will say like amusement up on the sign or whatever. Um, The word amuse for amusement uh, means this, an entertainment that distracts you from worries. So, so the whole point of, of entertainment is to basically have a place that you go where you can be distracted from the worries of life, which is not necessarily a bad thing, okay? But the word muse, the word muse is, means to think deeply about something. Whenever you t- take an A and put it in front of a word, it means the opposite. Uh, so a muse means to be distracted from worry. Muse means to think deeply about something. See, what? What humor does to a lot of you guys in this room is it keeps you from really thinking about things. It keeps you from having a thought that actually matters, okay? You see, some of you guys don't let yourself think deeply about anything, you know? If someone asks you a question about something significant or meaningful, you just kind of like laugh it off and make a joke out of it and, uh, and turn it into humor. I mean, I'll give you an example. I don't have to look very far. Um, uh, even Sunday mornings in this room, when I put these questions together, I know for a fact that some tables in this room will turn everything into a joke. I just know. That's just what's going to happen. Um, I'll typically get some good feedback, and I'm okay. I'm okay with that to a certain extent. I love humor. I love comedy. Some of you guys are hilarious. But what I'm saying, though, is that if you turn everything into a joke, that makes you a joke. It really does. It turns you into a joke. Okay? 
if all you ever do is just make everything funny, and that's your whole stick, then it makes you a joke as a guy. You become the kind of guy that no one respects. You become the kind of guy who no one ever goes to for advice. You become the kind of guy that everyone kind of goes, yeah, yeah, you know him. You can't talk to him. Like, you can have fun with him, but you really can't talk to him. Because you have this layer of protection of not letting anyone else get in. Because you got to follow the man code. you got to follow the man code. You know, at the, at the root of all of these things, the, the angry man, the passive man, the funny man, at the root of all of these things as a man, there is one theme, and the theme is fear. Every man, I will tell you as a man, ladies, don't be fooled by the front. I will tell you as a man that every man is terrified. Every man is scared to his wit's end of failure. You see, see, men want the approval of other men. They will do anything to get it. The man code I described earlier is the rule book on how to get it. You follow these rules, you follow the man code, you'll be proven as a man over time among your peers. You see, unfortunately, even the pursuit of a woman for a lot of guys is still their way to get approval by the guys. By the guys. So so the biggest question that, that a lot of guys have is this. Can I be a real man and still follow Christ? Can I be a real masculine man and still follow Christ? And the answer in a lot of your minds to that dilemma is you don't think you can. You don't think you can. I want to tell you this morning that I think the only way for you to become a real man is to follow Christ. The only way for you to become a real man is to take the man code and to push it aside and to follow Christ and, and replace that. You see, I've never understood how this worked itself out. When you read historical, when you, when you look back on the history of the church, I've never quite understood how the church began with someone's bloody death on the cross. The church began with 12 men giving their lives, sacrificing their lives for Christ. Many men died horrible deaths. Peter was crucified upside down because he did not find it uh, good to be killed in the same way that Christ was killed. So how did something that began so bloody and so brutal become to be seen as something so wimpy and not masculine? I've never quite understood how that, that whole thing worked out. But I would say if you want to become a, a real man, a true man, that, that you start by following Christ. That following Christ is the only way to become a true man. I think Jesus Christ lived out true masculinity on this earth. He was gentle, but he was a man. He had a righteous anger when he needed to have righteous anger, but he showed grace and mercy to the weak. When you bring those two things together, that is the truest expression, I think, of what a real man is supposed to look like. And so the, the question is, which one are you? Are you the angry man? Are you the, the passive man? Are you just the funny man that no one ever takes seriously? Are you a combination of all three? Because I think if you allow yourself to be convicted by the words of, of God's word today, I think that you can start to, to look at your life and see how it measures up to the life of Christ. Or are you following some man code that has been passed down from generation to generation generation 
that's completely false. That choice has to be yours. Next week we're going to talk about uh, the sins of women. And uh, Courtney's going to help me with that one, so we're going to um, be praying through, thinking through how we're going to talk about some of those issues uh, this coming Sunday. And then we'll do another week on the sins of men again. And then the fourth week we'll do uh, on the sins of women, and we'll cover uh, those in a few weeks. So let's go ahead and pray, and uh, you guys will be dismissed. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for uh, being a God who wants to see young men in this room grow up and rise up and be men of character, men of integrity, men who are not afraid to push the man code aside and to replace it with the code that you have given us to follow you. To be men who want to be like Christ. They want to be humble yet strong. want to be righteously angry but full of grace and mercy. I pray, God, that you would Help these young men in this room to catch a vision for that, God. I pray that the girls in this room would call them to that place. That they would really not settle for that, anything less than that. They would not settle for a false masculinity among the men in this room. God, I pray that you would just help us as leaders to to guide them with wisdom, uh, to use discernment. I pray that you would help us to, uh, to show with our lives and our words what it means to be a man of God. And uh, that we can hopefully defeat the sins of men. Pray listen in your name. Amen. If you are staying after for our luncheon today for Kids Against Hunger, stick around. We'll have some food for you in a minute. And then we will head out about 2 o'clock, okay?